name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Christos Anistik. I was trying to think of a way to soften the first line because I wanted to start by, by saying we're all going to die. Um, but it's not the way most people are used to starting with things. But it's the one sure reality of life is death. Right? From the minute that we are born begins the process of dying. Nobody doesn't die. And the message of the church during this season and always, Sunday is always a commemoration of the resurrection, um, is the victory of God over death, the victory of, of, of Christ over death, which is in turn our victory over death. And the focus on this week's reading is on Christ being the bread of life, on being the source of life for everyone. And God used this analogy with them in the Old Testament, which is why in the Gospel that we read, this morning, actually it might have been last night, we read, we read about how he makes direct reference to how manna was eaten in the wilderness and it was a source of, of life for them. And so we go about our lives as well and he's making a parallel to food, trying to make, Christ always used parallels or analogies that people can understand. Right? It's like if you're going to live, you need to eat. It's that simple. <coughs> if you don't eat, you die. And even though you might not think about that all the time, even if you're not constantly as you eat, thinking about if I don't have this, I'm going to be sick or I'm going to die, it's still true that if you don't eat, you are going to get sick and you are going to die from that. And so he wants to bring our attention to what, it, what are you living on? What is the, the food that you have? And I'm thinking back to this time last year where there was just death everywhere, right? I was serving at St. Mina's, a young child, passed away, that was very dear, the relatives are actually here at this church, right? A dear friends um, of mine, their mother was in the CICU during this time, just death was everywhere. And if there's no meaning, right, then the question is like, well, what's the point of all of this, right? Like, why, why put up with all of this, with this suffering? And that's its own sermon. The truth is that intrinsically speaking, these deaths that happen, like not just those, but the ones that we, that we deal with, they are meaningless. They are meaningless only if they are hopeless, right? They're only in the case of someone being hopeless will it become meaningless. Because if the end of the struggle, if the end of this process of, of life <coughs> is nothing, then yes, it's absolutely meaningless, right? If the end of all of this is really just you rot in, in the ground and there's nothing at all, then yeah, there's absolutely no meaning to actually absolutely anything you do. Not your living and not your dying, not your speech, not your accomplishments, not your degrees, not your wealth, not your relationships, not your friendships. If in the end it all just evaporates, then there's actually no meaning to any of those things. Next week, actually, we're going to read the story of the Samaritan woman um, again because we're going to be talking now about what should the resurrection do to us, right? What should this knowledge of life do to us? Because outside the context of the resurrection there is no meaning, right? As we said last week, like St. Paul said, right? If there is no resurrection we are of all men most miserable, 
If there is no resurrection, then this is absolutely ridiculously useless, which is why we spend the same amount of we do on Lent talking about resurrection over and over and over again, is to dwell on that point completely. So there's three things that I will talk about or meditate on with you all um, that we should gain for the resurrection because there's many things. And I also want to then just take a little bit to meditate on people who live that because the month of May is a month of many great saints. Um, and their, their feasts are easy to remember because they're all a week apart, right? So we have Monday, St. George, right? May 8th, we have St. Mark, and Mark is going to write us his biography. May 15th, we have St. Athanasius. May 22nd, we have St. Pachomius. Um, so we're going to come to those. I'm going to leave out St. Mark again, Mark, but we'll explain why. So the first thing is that the resurrection gives us hope. Imagine going through high school knowing that no matter what you do, you are never going to get to do anything with your diploma, where it's completely useless. Like you go through this whole process, and you have exams, and you have tests, and you have all these things, and they say, yeah, yeah, you have to do all of that, and in the end, it does absolutely nothing for you. We just want you to do that, right? It's, it's actually not going to increase your chances of success. You're not going to get a job. This does nothing for you. Imagine if you went through that process with that knowledge. It would completely change your outlook on, on what you're doing. Or imagine if you eat right, but it doesn't matter, no matter how much you eat, even if you eat healthy, you're gonna be obese no matter what, right? There's no hope of you having health by your food, right? You're gonna look at diet in a completely different way because it's hopeless, where it's like, what is the point of this, right? Where, where is the hope in that I can find that if I behave in this way, that there's some hope that something's going to change or that I'm going to receive something or that something's going to give. So before the resurrection, people were living not really sure if there was life after. Right? This is why even among the Jews there was multiple sects. One of the sects was the Sadducees. And the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. Right? That's actually why they have a big debate um, between the sect of the Pharisees and the sect of the Sadducees because they're all wondering whether it's true that there's a resurrection or not. So with, before the resurrection, there was no hope, right? There was just this sense of you just you die and maybe there's a resurrection, you're not sure. But if there isn't, it's still horrible because now you're just stuck in Hades, right? So there was absolutely nothing to look forward to. That's why God rewarded people in the Old Testament with long life. Right, a sign of blessing from God is they got to live a long time because of what was going to happen afterwards. But the resurrection, the fact of the resurrection, and I want you to all deal with the resurrection as a factual event, not as a mythological event, not as, as just this cute philosophical thing that Christians talk about, but as a real event, changes all of that. Because if suddenly somebody who is dead gets up alive, that's a really big deal, right? That's not a small thing. If, if somebody were to have witnessed that in the flesh today, that would change their life, right? They wouldn't be able to just go back to bed, right? They would be talking about that nonstop, which is what the apostles did, right? Is they, they didn't stop talking about it literally until they died, talking um, about what happened. Now that the Savior has raised his body, no longer is death terrible. But all who believe in Christ trample on it as nothing. These are the words of St. Athanasius. 
and choose rather to die, to die than to deny their faith in Christ. For they know full well that when they die, they do not perish, but indeed live and become incorruptible through the resurrection. Right? So this hope is what gave the people the fearlessness of martyrdom, right? Which is what St. George did, right? May 1st is the feast of, of St. George. So St. George was born to Christian parents, and he fought for the guy who was killing us, right? He was fighting for Diocletian, um, who was one of the, the, the worst in, 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 in history. But his belief in the resurrection, right? His knowledge of the resurrection, that hope in the resurrection, is what made him completely unafraid of death, because he knew that there was something stronger than We're going to come back to that. But the second thing is meaning. Okay? The resurrection gives meaning to life. If, to use the, the English expression, damned if we do, damned if we don't, right? If no matter what I do, the end result is the same. Let's say, for example, you've been working so hard to please someone you love. But at the end, you find out that no matter what you do, that person just doesn't care, no matter what, right? Suddenly, all these actions you did feel meaningless, right? Where let's say you were saving your money to buy a house for this person. Let's say that you, um, you, you used your, your allowance money. I'm going to put my mom on blast here. When I was a kid, one time, I, was, I saw this plant, a bonsai tree, at a, at a store, and I was like, I'm going to get that for my, my mom. And I was all excited, and I was telling the person that was at the store, who was a, a, a Coptic Orthodox person, she's going to love this, and I never spend money on anyone, um, and so this is a big deal, and hopefully she'll plant it, and it'll become a big tree. And I went on and on and on. I went home to my mom, and she's like, what am I going to do with this? She was like, I don't need a tree. <laughs> Take it and return it, right? Suddenly, my, my, my hard-earned allowance <laughs> felt like it was meaningless, Right, that this gift that I had prepared mentally and, and, and financially to get for her seemed meaningless because the end result was a rejection of the gift. We, we, she made up for it afterwards. But is that if the, my sacrifice, if my, my work at the end of the day doesn't do anything, then it ends up being meaningless. Right? It suddenly is like, oh, so all of this suffering was for nothing. Right? All of this studying was for nothing. All of this care, all this compassion, whatever the thing is, ends up being meaningless. What the resurrection does is give us meaning. Right? <laughs> is that suddenly, if this fact is true, right? If this person is who he says he is, and if he really rose from the dead then now I have to find out who is he and why does he have that power and what does that mean about me, right? Which will lead you to realize that you are his son and that you are an heir of the resurrection. You're an heir of, of his kingdom, you're an heir of his resurrection and that you also are going to rise. And now the meaning of your life isn't about your living, it's about your rising, right? The meaning of your life has, is not about what you eat and drink anymore, it's about what does this all lead to? Because you can spend a lot of time on your degrees and, and, and on your relationships, and you can busy yourselves, right? You can, you can just eat and, and, and live. But if you don't discover what is the purpose of my living, you're just living an arbitrary life, right? Everything that you do is completely <coughs> random. It's something that you randomly decided. 
And if you randomly decided it, then it's actually meaningless because it was random. Because your mood can change, your circumstance can change, your relationship can change, your financial situation can change, your relationship status can change. All of those things are changeable relative measures of life. But if Christ is risen, then Christ is God and God is an absolute. And that absolute doesn't change. And only meaning can be found in something that is stable. Meaning can only be found in something that is true. And so our meaning can only be derived in, in Him. For it is natural to man to feel cowardice at death and the dissolution of the body. But, and it is a most marvelous fact, that he who is enwrapped with the faith of the cross despises even what is according to nature and is not cowardly at death because of Christ. Again from St. Athanasius. The third thing is power. The resurrection gives us immense power. Imagine if someone is dangling a threat in front of you all the time. If you don't do this, I won't give you this. Right? Like that kind of thing that our, our parents often did to us and then we do the exact same thing back to others all the time. If you don't get this paper, for example, if it's a degree, then you're not allowed to do these acts. Right? If you don't get licensed by the Board of Physicians, you're not allowed to do these things. If you're not registered as a technician, you're not allowed to do these acts. Right? Is somebody holding in front of you with their own authority, I'm not going to let you do this if you don't do these things. It makes you bent towards them. It makes you kneel before them on some way or another. Because now you have to do that thing that they're saying, or you don't get what you want. That is what the devil did with death. Right? That is what the devil's power over humanity was in the Old Testament. It was, you're going to die, and you'll be mine. Right? At the end of this, this is to whom you're going to belong. It's to me. Right? And that's why we even say in the liturgy that he gave himself as a ransom to death, which reigned over us, right? which had tyranny over us, because we were bound by this death. It was the end of things. Right? You just sat in, in, in limbo or in Hades for a long time. It ruled over us because it was the sure guarantee. People were at a loss of what to do against death because there's absolutely nothing they could do to prevent it, right? They could try all sorts of things and, and humans are still trying to do that, right? Everyone's trying to delay death, to prevent death, right? To come up with tools um, to at least have options over, over death. But we don't really have any, right? At the end of the day. At the end of the day, it's going to happen in spite of us. And it was the most single powerful force in existence to someone who didn't believe in a power greater than it. Now what we're able to say is, I'm not afraid of that. Right? This is why people get upset at funerals and everyone's like, why are you so upset? As Christians are supposed to be happy. We are supposed to be happy. Um, we can be sad at the loss um, of somebody that we care about. But it can't be anger that they died. I'm always very surprised at how angry people are at funerals of how could this happen. And, and internally, obviously I'm not going to be mean to say that to people in the morning, but it's complete nonsense to me. Why are you angry that they died? Of course they died. You're going to die, I'm going to die, everyone's going to die. So what's so shocking about that? Right? There's nothing shocking about death. It happens, and it's going to happen. 
So when we get angry that somebody died, that's, it's a little bit ridiculous from a, a rational level. It's understandable on an emotional level, but not really on a rational one. Because it is going to happen, in spite of us. But if I actually believe that Christ is risen, then my living is in the hope of the resurrection, and my death is in the hope of resurrection, and my power is in the resurrection that I don't just die, I rise. And if I believe that the resurrection is a fact, that should absolutely change how I view life, right? And that's why I want to take a look at some of those saints, is to say, well, how do I live that? How do I live this hope and this meaning and this power? Because there are people that it did affect. I'm leaving out St. Mark because St. Mark will give him the excuse that he saw Christ. Okay, that he was that he lived and saw him and witnessed it. Okay, which we didn't have the luxury of. Saint George did not have that. Right? Saint George did not have the luxury of having seen Christ. But he saw that those who lived in the hope of the resurrection were working wonderful things. The martyrs were working miracles. The martyrs were being hauled off to be murdered and they were being healed miraculously over and over and over again. And so we see that St. George, we don't know a lot of details about his life. We just know that he's born to Christian parents. But what we do know is that compared to other martyrs, he suffered for a long time. Right? We have stories about him that are, that are small t traditions. We don't know if there were 70 governors or not. But we know that he literally was just for a really long time being coerced by, by all sorts of seductions, both in a positive and negative way to try and get him to give up his faith. And he refused, right? So there are some of us who might have such a strong belief in it that we're ready to physically give up our lives. And now we don't need to go all the way back to St. George, right? Now we can go back three weeks, right? And look at those who were murdered on Palm Sunday, right? Who were literally murdered just for that and look at the responses of their families, right? Where we have a project that we're working on to gather the lives of these people, I'm a Brahma's leading, and we're going to translate them to English for our own modern Sinekstar stories um, of these people. Look at the 21 martyrs of Libya, right? They did the same thing, and the 21 martyrs of Libya didn't suffer for an hour, right? And and that was it. They were tortured, right? They were tortured, and the one non-copt among them, right, saw their faith. I learned this from from Mary. I didn't know that he had said this, and said. Their faith is my faith, right? And that was what made him join. Their hope in the resurrection, their strength of the resurrection, made them absolutely fearless of death, no matter what the consequence. None of these people, none of these 21 were theologians, right? If you go talk to their families from Samalut, okay, in Adminia, they, they were not theologians and neither are their family members. They said, I don't know anything, I know one thing, that Christ is God and that I'm never going to abandon this belief. And if everything that I believe is true, then this death has no power over me, I will rise. And they did, right? That's one way of living it. Another way of living it that St. Athanasius talks about is those who embraced the monastic life, right? Those who, who were so compelled by this that they denounced all earthly pleasures, not by saying the earth is evil and disgusting and horrible, but saying there's something so much deeper than all of this, right? St. Pachomius, whose feast is on the 22nd, okay, is a great example of this, because St. Pachomius wasn't born a Christian. 
Sayyidina Khamis was a pagan. And he was a pagan that was sent by the emperor to Egypt in a campaign against the Christians <coughs> and was moved by the love and the difference that the Christians had compared to anything he'd ever seen in his life. That these people that he was sent to treat horribly, right, these people who were being murdered, welcomed him as a beloved guest. They cooked for him, they brought him food, they clothed him, and he was so confused. He asked him, like, do, do you know who I am? Right? Are you aware that I'm here to kill your people? And like, yeah. <laughs> right? That was not a big deal to them. And they treated him like a king. And so he was there for a war, and he said, O oh God of the Christians, if I come back alive from this military campaign, I vow myself to your service because of who these people are. Right? And he did. Sambukhomius came back, right? He lived in Egypt. He took himself a, a, a teacher, St. Palamon, um, and was so moved that he founded a whole type of monasticism, right? A monasticism based on the charity that he received from the Christians, right? It moved him so much that that became his system, saying, no, our system of monasticism is not every man on his own. It's the opposite. It's everyone all together. And everybody has to cook for everybody, and everyone has to eat together, everyone has to work together, and everyone has to pray together. Right? But the, the, the resurrection, right, which impacted all these people, became alive to him by saying, I am going to live in the hope of life by not even caring about life here. Right? I'm going to be resurrected even while I'm here by not caring about earthly things, by not worrying about my money, not worrying about my prestige, not worrying about my position. Right? All of that to me is absolutely nothing compared to the beauty of this truth that is in Christ. Then there is St. Athanasius, who I've been quoting all this time, um, during Holy Week and Lent and during this, and we talked uh, about him last night as the, as the talk for Vespers. Well, then you have someone like St. Athanasius, who was possibly born a pagan. There's two different traditions about his, his early life. But who, as a kid, right, so it doesn't even have to be old people, even as a kid, had memorized the rites and rubrics of baptism, right? We, we're, we'll have one on June 4th, God willing. I encourage you all to attend and pay attention to how long it is. And whenever we do it, I think, how did he memorize this? Like, this is very long. Um, but St. Athanasius couldn't have been more at the time than between the ages of 13 and 16, right? Because four years later, he wrote on the Incarnation and, and a few years after was at Nicaea, right? So in his life, he must have been in his early to mid-teens. And this person had memorized the church services so much that he could do it for, for play, right? Because they were just playing baptism. I don't know how many of you, for fun, play church. Some of our kids do, um, which, is, which always makes me happy because I think of people like Athanasius, that they were doing that as children. But... This is a person whose play reached the level where he could recite not just liturgy but the whole ritual of baptism to the point that Pope Alexander, it said, he's, it said in, the, in, the, in the manuscripts, didn't repeat the prayers. He just did the immersions of, the, of these catechumens um, and chrismated them, but didn't repeat the prayers like Athanasius took care of that um, and made him a, a full deacon. But this fearlessness of death Athanasius writes about the vigor by talking to the monks and the nuns, and he talks about the martyrs. But look at his life too, because Athanasius of his 50-something years as patriarch of, of Alexandria, the, in my view, possibly the greatest pope in the history of the Church of Alexandria. 
um, spent the majority of it in exile. He spent the majority of it being hidden by monks, going from monastery to monastery. And it didn't bother him. He was content to be poor. He was content to be rich. He was content to be an outcast. He was content to be beloved. But he didn't care what was the external situation because he lived on the one foundation, and that was the truth, right? Of I am not budging on the truth. I don't care, as, as they said when they went to him, Athanasius, the world is against you, and his response was, and I, by the grace of God, am against the world, right? He grabbed the emperor's horse by the bridle, as we said yesterday, and said, the Lord judge between me and you. That was, in Roman times, sure death, right? You don't get to walk up to the emperor and tell him off, let alone grab his horse by the bridle. But he was fearless. He was fearless because of the truth, and the truth changed him. It gave him power. Right? This truth of resurrection gave him power of, you can do whatever you want to me. You can persecute me, you can put me in exile, you can order my death, you can do whatever you want. And I'm not afraid of anything that you do, because I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know that there is victory over the grave. So a person who lives in these should change. Right? Resurrection is what gave us power over demons. Resurrection is what gave us victory over sin. Resurrection gave us victory over external pressure, pressures. So the question for all of us is, do you live in that power? Do you live in the power of the resurrection? And how does it manifest in your life? What, what are you doing that shows that you believe in the resurrection? If the resurrection is something that never crosses your mind, then you're somebody who just eats. You're eating from his holy body and his, and his life-giving blood, but you're just living. You're just existing. That's not meaningful. That's not powerful. Do you live in the fear of death? Do you live dreading death? Do you live trying to think how on earth you can make your life here the most glamorous on whatever level, whether it's psychological or social, relationship, financial? Is that what your goals and your ambitions are? Is that where your meaning is? Because if that's the case, then your meaning is not in the resurrection. It means that your meaning is only found in this temporal life, which ends, which, which will end guaranteed no matter what. Do you live like death is the most terrible thing? Because if you live in the power of the, re the resurrection, nothing will have a hold on you. Not wealth, not image, not popularity, not prestige, not fame, not FOMO, your fear of missing out, not negative influences, not any of these things will have a grasp or a grip on you because you live in the truth that Christos Anisti, that our Christ is risen in truth, and glory be to our God forever and ever unto the age of ages. Amen.